Welcome to the Grace of Eugene podcast. We exist to help every person in our sphere of influence to encounter Christ, experience biblical community, and extend God's kingdom. You can learn more about us at gracecityeugene.com. Here's the podcast. Awesome. Well, today, family, we are starting a new sermon series. We just wrapped up Philippians last week. I hope that that was as encouraging to you all as it was to me in preparing it and preaching it to myself every week before I shared the messages with you. Um, It is really amazing to see the heart of friendship and joy and humility in Paul as he addresses the church. And I pray that those will be things that we can take as a community and that will mark us as, as a body of believers as well. And so... Uh, A lot of that stuff wasn't just for a couple thousand years ago. I believe that it is also for us, and we're encountering very similar challenges and opportunities. And so um, I pray that that sticks with you. Um, But as we head into this week, we're starting a new series called Misquoted. Misquoted. Has anyone in the room either been a victim or a perpetrator of a misquoted Bible verse? I think that humility would tell us that we've probably done a little bit of both, right? Um, maybe misquoted Bible verse or, or scripture taken out of context because, well, I saw a TikTok about it, so it must be right because everything on TikTok is true, right? Just like everything you search on, on Google is true. Um, there are so many phrases and quotes and memes and meanings of things that are attributed to the Bible and used for a plethora of situations and circumstances that are just plain out of order and out of context. And unfortunately, a lot of them have become very well circulated in the contemporary church. Um, And over time, they kind of take on their own life or their own legend of sorts. And I think as as I'm saying this, there's probably some of these that are are coming to your minds. and this, the reality of this is it's not just something we see relating to Scripture. This isn't just something that, like, Christians have the market on, misquoting and taking things out of context. It's something that happens also in the world. It happens in media. It happens in education and conversations all over the place. Um, but it definitely also happens with Scripture. And as Christians, as people who want to follow the way of Jesus and that we believe that the Bible has authority in our lives, there then needs to be a responsibility in not taking it out of context, not misquoting it, holding it in reverence and understanding what it actually is saying to us, about us, and calling us to do. Because throughout our lives, we end up believing many different sayings, Storings, stories or myths that aren't actually true. Like, would you agree with me? There's plenty of things that we believe over time, stories, myths, legends, all these things that aren't really true. And if you're sitting there going, no, I, I, don't, I don't think that's me, Pastor. I'm sorry that you struggle with that. Um, does anybody remember chain emails? You guys are, does anybody remember chain emails, right? Um, I understand that now um, this has made its way into texts and messaging apps and social media. But these chain email letters from the 90s and early 2000s 
um, fortunes were to be made or squandered off of how many people you would send these emails to and the amount that you were willing to forward to and, and indicate how naive you were to, how many people you were willing to do that with. Your, your happiness, your ability to find love and the safety and security of your children hinged on how many forwards you would get with these chain emails. Often they were linked to thir- various third world countries, if you remember correctly, and... Um, the, the, uh, the validity of these chain emails was actually enhanced or threatened by how many people you would forward them to. It was, it was quite the game. Um, now, I understand that this seems a little outlandish to us now, but if we're honest with ourselves, there may have just at least been one of those that you might have forwarded because you're like, <laughs> I mean, I'd take a million bucks. Who knows, right? Or um, I know that especially like my grandparents that were on the internet were really good at forwarding those through Facebook Messenger for some reason. Um, and like I said, this wasn't just something that was in emails in the 90s, early 2000s, but today, like occasionally, and Addie can attest to this, we may go in and check text messages to make sure, you know, that all is well. And you see these group friend chats with, with youth these days. It's like, you will never be loved in your entire life if you don't forward this to, like, however many people. It's like, my goodness, this stuff has some staying power. And uh, so maybe we need it, Corey, we need to integrate this into the education system so kids know and can learn from the history of, of this. <laughs> um, But the reality is, like, we laugh about it, and we may look down when the pastor's talking about it and looks at you, but the reality is we cave into these kind of things all the time. Like, this this kind of stuff happens all around us. Another example of how things can gain reputation or hype, not necessarily based on truth or wisdom, but on hearsay and lack of understanding, does anybody remember Y2K? Y2K, right? Now, for those of us that went through that, we're like, oh, yeah, Y2K. And for the younger people in the room, you're like, what, what is that? Well, back in the day, 23 and a half years ago, when it went from 1999 to 2000, there was this hysteria that the computers weren't going to be smart enough to handle changing the thousands digit on the numbers and that all the banking systems would collapse. And we had no clue what was going to happen in the world. And you had people prepping for Y2K. And I know there's some people in this room that experienced this in their family. People would hoard fuel sources and cans, non-perishable foods, and they would make sure that if, if the economy or the stores or banking systems collapsed, that they were going to be taken care of because Y2K was scary and it was this really big deal. And technology definitely can't handle changing over four numbers when the year changes. And the implications of this were like, Thousands of dollars being spent and people prepping for this this crash. And I remember for me, I was a senior in high school. And by this time, most New Year's Eves, my parents would let me go hang out with friends. And this was the year they're like, don't make any plans. We're going to be together as a family. Just in case. (laughs) We're going to be together. And I'm like, just in case what? Let me hang out till 9 o'clock. We'll see how it goes at the banking epicenter of the world in New York. And if something goes down, I'll come find you. Like, we have, it's going to be foreshadowed. We're going to know ahead of time, right? But just in case. And we didn't just, this was the one year that we went out to the family farm and we hung out. And all the family was together just in case. And um, we didn't grow up wealthy, so I don't know what we would have had to lose if the banks collapsed anyway. It may have been 
in our advantage. But the reality is it caused like hysteria and it caused people to reorient how they lived, how they spent their money and what they were anxious about. And spoiler alert, nothing, nothing happened. Um, nine o'clock hit and then everyone's like, well, you don't know, maybe it has to go across the whole U.S. first. And then it hit us on the West Coast. It's like, we got to wait for Hawaii still. Like, we got to see what happens there. It's like, I think we're good. I think we're good. But we, we laugh about this kind of stuff. But over the next few weeks, I think we're going to learn that we believe things about the Bible that might, like, if the ancient Hebrew reader or writer or Jesus were to have this conversation with us, he'd be like, oh, you guys, you're really concerned about that? Here is the actual point. Here's what I'm actually saying. And so my desire and what I believe God wants to do through this series is save us from 23 and a half years later looking about, uh, back at the Y2K type of things and how we view scripture and what he says, maybe taking it out of context, misquoting it, and correct those things so that we can rely on wisdom and truth and the power of the word that saves us, taking it appropriately and applying it to the world around us that so desperately needs hope and the salvation message of the gospel. Amen. And so all kidding aside, this stuff really does happen. And some of the things that we're going to bring up may challenge you. Some of them you'll be like, yeah, I've already wrestled through that one. Uh, but the reality is uh, we need to make sure that we're exercising wisdom and truth as we read and convey the Bible to others. Um, a misunderstood or misquoted scripture or Bible con biblical concept is very similar to like a secular misunderstanding or misquote. And so what we're going to be talking about is misassumptions, um, things taking out of, taken out of context, um, things that maybe you may have learned in Sunday school. And in an attempt to make things more palatable or memorizable, is that even a word? Um, maybe you got it wrong because you remembered it from back then. And we don't want to just rely on, well, this is how I was told or what I was told, but we want to get down to what the word says about it. We want to really dig in, and that's part of our heart every time that we go through scriptures, to not just settle for face value and, well, this is what tradition or the historical church has just kind of rested on, but what is the Bible in the original languages, the way that it was written to the people it was written to, convey to us? We don't want to lazily read the Bible. We want to read it like we are thirsty and hungry for the truth that God is conveying to it in us. And so we want to examine each one of these with an open mind and an open Bible. We're going to say that time and time again through this series. Please come into this topic because there's going to be some that they challenge me as I prepare them, and I pray that they challenge you as well, that we need to come in with an open mind and an open Bible. Open mind and an open Bible. And we can't look at these topics without looking into wisdom and understanding from a biblical perspective. So we're going to start today just giving kind of a lens or a framework uh, for how we should responsibly view each of these topics. I didn't want to jump in and unpack, here's the sermon series, here's how we need to look at these things, and then tackle the first one because we don't want to be here for, you know, 60 minutes today. And so we are developing a framework, a frame of reference, or a set of glasses, a lens to view these things through. And I find it helpful 
to start with one of the most wise men that we see in the Bible, and that's King Solomon, who was the son of David. And 1 Kings tells us of an encounter with the Lord through a dream that Solomon had where God asked him, said, I'll give you anything. What is it that you want? And the following scriptures tell us about this interaction. This could be in 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 9 through 12. And he says this, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? And it pleased the Lord that Solomon asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I will give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us to have a wise and discerning mind. Father, I pray that as we go through this series, whether something maybe reinforces what we already knew to be true or it challenges something that we thought to be true, God, would you give us wise and discerning minds, open minds, open Bibles to really understand what you mean and what you have for us through your word. So we thank you for this time, Holy Spirit. I pray that these words would come upon ears that would hear, hearts that would receive, and that you would work in us and help us to develop a a framework of wisdom and truth through the scriptures to evaluate your word in this world that you've called us to apply it to. So we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. So soon after this scripture, God entrusted the temple to be built under Solomon's rule, the temple where God himself would be amongst his people. It would be this sort of hot spot of his presence. And I believe partially due to like the heart of Solomon to have a wise and discerning heart regarding governing his people and living his life, God entrusted that he would be able to, he would be the king that would build the temple, the hot spot of the presence of God on earth. But then, unfortunately, and if you've read about King Solomon, you you knew this was coming. A bit after that, he began to trust his own wisdom and his own feelings and his own desires over the word of God, over the wisdom of the scriptures. And he went awry for quite a few areas of his life. His, His desires of his flesh started to let him down, and they led him down a path that eventually had him building high places for other gods, not doing things that were and doing things that were blatantly displeasing to God. And this ultimately stemmed from a misunderstanding of who the source of wisdom was. Like he asked God, "Would you make me wise and discerning?" And then God made him wise and discerning. And then not too long later, he started to think, "Wow, I am wise and discerning, and I must be the source of this wisdom and discernment." And he started to take it upon himself to figure out and orient his mind and his leadership in the world and the things that pleased him rather than the things that would please and honor God. He started to trust and believe that he was the source for this wisdom 
instead of remembering that it was God who granted it to him in the first place. It was God that granted it to him. And this led to a lack of willingness to heed the truth of what God had commanded him and taught him to lead his people into. So the wisdom of Solomon that came from God got confused by inaccurate facts or faulty assumptions about where the source actually was. He started to believe it was himself that was wise inherently rather than that he was blessed and gifted from God to be wise. And this led to him making foolish decisions, to leading in a foolish manner, and then eventually falling away from his relationship with God. So the wisdom was there, but then it was paired with wrong facts, wrong assumptions, faulty assumptions, and it led to foolish decisions, foolish ways of life, living in a way that did not any longer honor God. And so we can see how wisdom's important. But I believe that if you just have wisdom, but you're not also filtering it through the truth of the scriptures and understanding where your truth comes from, it can set you up to get confused about, well, am I just a wise person? Man, I just, I'm really intuitive. You ever talk to somebody who just seems to be intuitive and you can get kind of prideful about like, I just pick up on things. And they start to think that, man, I'm just really good at understanding the world and the people in it. And they're not attributing those things to the discernment of the Lord, him blessing them, then maybe being aligned with his character, knowing who he is and how he views the world. And they start to think like, I'm just... I'm just really good at this. I'm just really good at understanding people. And so there's this old carpenter's adage that says, measure twice, cut. Okay, that was good. You guys, you guys have heard that. Measure twice, cut once. So if we're measuring twice and we want to measure with wisdom, that's measuring once. But then the other way that we need to measure these things and develop a framework for measuring these misquotes or things taken out of context is to examine what is held true in the scriptures. That's the second way we measure them. So what does wisdom say? What, is, what would wisdom say about this? But then what does the truth of the Bible say? Truth is of utmost importance to the follower of Jesus. And we must have a deep desire for understanding truth as followers of Jesus. Truth isn't some secondary or tertiary thing that we're like, well, I'm going to see what I like what is going to serve me. And then if it's truthful, then, I mean, that's good too, right? Like, no, truth is, truth is first. That is one of the primary, wisdom and truth, the primary ways that we measure these things. And so in John chapter 8, Jesus has something to say about this. And I want to read that for us as well. John chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. It says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my true disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, we're offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answers them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a, is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you still seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. 
The importance of finding the actual truth is because it's the truth that sets you free. And Jesus is really clear about this. It's not the heritage or the family line of the Jewish people that sets them free. It's the truth of Jesus and what he speaks, what this word says. That is the truth that sets free. So a lot of times we come from a lineage of Christian family and Sunday school and good habits and history in our family. And and we have just this lineage of Christianity. It's like, of course I'm saved. Of course I know what the Bible says. Of course I know that this must be true because my grandma taught that to me. This must be true. And it's a similar thing to what these people say. No, you forget what family we're from, bro. We're good. We're good. It's like, no. Your family line, your grandma's Bible teaching, your Sunday school teacher does not set you free. The truth in the person of Jesus sets you free. And so as we develop a framework to evaluate the following weeks in the context of, we need to understand that there might be some tension between grandma's teaching between mom and dad's teaching, between Sunday school, between my last pastor. And I'm not sitting here trying to mix things up with anybody. I'm sitting here saying, family, this has to dictate and direct our lives. This has to be the thing. Now, I grew up in the Catholic faith in this, so there's plenty of things that religion is to me and that God was to me as I was raised in a different way. And when I go to family like holidays and stuff, I have to deal with like, well, grandma, that's actually not, grandma says lots of things now because she's a little older, but there's always been things that we just didn't agree upon. And she viewed from this like Catholic lens where at least in my context, there was not an encouragement like, go read the Bible, see what it says, go talk to Jesus. It was like, hey, there's a priest here if you want to know what that says. There's confessional these days of the week. It was a much different Thing. And that causes some tension sometimes because I say, you know what, Grandma, I love you and I'm praying for you and we can talk about God. We can talk about the Bible, but this trumps what my family religious lineage has handled down to me or handed down. This is more important. This dictates those things. And Jesus is telling them, that's great that you're from that family line, but that doesn't set you free. The word will set you free. Truth is important. Now, I'm not saying family isn't important. Family can develop a lot of amazing habits, rhythms, and frameworks in your life, but those do not supersede the truth that will set you free. But unfortunately, some of these things that we're going to discuss in the following weeks, um, the Bible actually calls them foolish. If they don't align with truth, they are foolish. Foolish, which is the modern day equivalent to saying they're stupid or dumb. Now, I don't plan on saying that every week, but it's the modern day equivalent of saying these things are, are stupid. They're silly. They're, they're dumb. They're not intelligent. They are antithetical to intellect, to intellect, to wisdom, to truth. They are opposite of. And each week as we develop or have this framework of wisdom and truth to look at these different misquotes, We're going to see these ideas or these sayings that are often perpetuated in and out of Christian circles. And we'll see how they're actually a little bit like fool's gold. It looks great or it sounds great at first, but once tested, it proves worthless. It's like fool's gold. Like, man, that's shiny. And then you test it and you're like, man, that is actually worthless. 
there are so many sayings and cliche phrases that in certain contexts, when people are hurting, when they're excited, when they're in need, when they're in abundance, there's all these misquoted verses and out-of-context verses that people just throw around at them. And it's, it's like fool's gold. It's like, oh, that feels really nice. But when the rubber actually meets the road, it doesn't do you any good because it's not based on the truth of the Bible. It's based on taking things out of context. Now, there's no doubt that all of us have, at some point in time, jumped to some pretty foolish conclusions in our lives and in our walk with Jesus. I mean, God knows I have plenty of times. Um, But fortunately, in my faith journey, I've had some careful thinking mentors who have helped correct me of the folly of thinking that my belief system and what I see is not what actually dictates reality. And we happen to be in a cultural moment where there is this movement of relativism and like, well, that's my truth. That's what makes me feel good. That's what I want to believe. That is my reality. And so this is something that the Bible teaches us that's very countercultural. That no, it's not about how you see it or this is how I interpret that scripture. It's like, but that's not true about it. That's not what it's actually saying. And if you were to listen to three or four different podcasts from people that are trying to make different political or social points, you might hear the same verse utilized in a lot of different ways. One time that I really saw this in a, in a pretty profound way, and it wasn't actually being abused, it was just being highlighted for me, is I was taking a class about systematic theology from Gary Brashears, who teaches at Western Seminary. And I think Pete may have been here with this, uh, with this one for me. But he's talking about um, how the different systematic thoughts of theology uh, will use the Bible to prove their points. Now, we're not going to get into all of those points. Um, I'll spare you. But he used different translations of the same verse to prove the point for two to three different camps of systematic theology. And as he's giving his argument for each one, we didn't realize it. He'd just be like, all right, and look, see right here, it says this. And then go on. Now if we're looking at Arminianism, like, see, look at this. And then he throws them up parallel. And he goes, you guys realize that it's the same stinking verses, just different translations that for uh, dozens of years, the most academic theologians in the world have argued their case, their systematic view of who God is using the same verses, just different translations. And so these things, can, they can be taken in a lot of different ways. And it's important that we have humility when we look at this, that we don't just think that, well, this is my camp, this is my tribe. I was raised in this denomination, therefore this is just what I believe, right? We all know some of the denominational tensions that can happen. But if we can come into this with the humility and the joy that we just went through Philippians and learned about and now apply that heart and that joy for what Jesus has done for us and that we have the opportunity to help share that to other people in the way that we convey and apply the Bible, I believe it can make a huge difference in the world we live in. Because this isn't just about, I want to understand this better for myself. This is about how do I understand this in a way that is appropriate to be able to help not just myself and my family apply it, but to help others apply these things. And if we're trying to tell them or convince them something that is out of context, 
I believe we're not sowing great seed. We're not planting the types of seeds that would yield the fruit that we desire to harvest or that Jesus would love to see out of our efforts. This is something that too many people think, ah, it doesn't really matter though, but it, but it can. Now, not everything that may be taken out of context will be detrimental to somebody's faith. But imagine, imagine if somebody runs from their faith because they believe that God didn't fulfill a promise that he never made. Because there was something taken out of context and they said, that's a promise from God for me. And it's like, no, that was really clearly for a people group some two to 3,000 years ago. And because you read it out of context and somebody said it as some nice, happy talk to you at some point where you were hurting in your life, you have grabbed onto that as a promise for you. Like, that can cause faith crises for people. And we need to know, like, is that for me? Or was that for a very specific group of people at a very specific time? And so these adages that come out of the scripture, like, oh, a penny saved, a penny earned, and, you know, God helps those who help themselves, like, show me that verse in context. Those may not cause a bunch of problems for people. But if people start to have faith crisis because they're mad at God for not cashing in on a promise that he never made to them, but they believe he did, those are the things we're trying to help people not have to butt up against, that they can understand those things ahead of time. And that way, the message, the news that we're sharing in a world that so desperately needs it is not tarnished. It's not watered down. It's not misdirecting or misleading people, but it is potent. It is true. It is measured with truth of the Bible and measured with wisdom and shared with a heart of love and humility to try to help lead people to hope in their eternal salvation through the person of Jesus. That's the goal of this. You will rarely, if ever, hear me come up and preach some message where the goal is we just need to know all this stuff, right? Like, if you've been around for a while, you know me better than that. We need to know what we believe so that we can share it because there's a world that's desperately hurting. And the goal each week of understanding these things is so that, A, we don't do damage when we, if we were to share things that are misquoted or out of context. But, B, it's so that we can really be rooted in who God is, who he says we are, and what he's calling us to do with this good news. And I just, I don't want to be someone that even out of my own, like not even knowing, is causing harm or damage to people in their walk with Jesus. I know that the people in this room and the people in our family would never go out and purposefully like mislead or misdirect someone. But continuously over the last two years, the God, God continues to remind me of this idea of how will they know unless someone tells them. And so if there are misinterpretations out there, if there are things that are dragging people astray, like why can't we help straighten those things out? Why can't we help bring truth and understanding? How will they know unless someone tells them? And praise God that he's calling us to tell them, not just about what things may be taken out of context, but ultimately about him, his saving grace, and what is offered through the work of the cross. Amen. Worship team, you can come back up. As we close, I want to read this proverb to us because I believe that it sums up just the heart of the framework for this series. Proverbs 2, 1 through 11. 
It says, my son, if you are receiving my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of the Lord. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up wisdom from, for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you and understanding will guard you. You see, sometimes in our faith journey, when we hear something that sounds compassionate or warm or culturally relevant and like it would do a good job of transposing itself into other people's lives, we get really excited about it. I know sometimes I hear an interpretation of, of scripture or a message as I'm listening to different sermons or, or like podcasts and stuff online. I'm like, man, I know someone that could really use it. That's a great thought. But then I do the due diligence of just making sure it measures against wisdom and against truth. Measure twice, cut once. And if it lines up, like, hey, I heard this thing, and I think it will really, really encourage you. I think it will bring some insight or perspective into the situation in which you find yourself. But too often we just see it. Ah, oh, that's great, and it's this great phrase, and it's encouraging, and we act like we've struck gold, right? And we repost it on every social. Oh, this one rocked my world, fam, on Instagram or whatever. We just throw it out there. But I urge you, just take an extra moment. Measure twice. Cut once. When you come across these things that are intended to portray truth or a, a spiritual truth, examine it. See if it might just be fool's gold before you get all excited and go, you know, start buying new things, right, with, with this gold that you think you have struck. Call it what it is. Things can be encouraging. Things can make you happy. But we are called to be ambassadors of truth and hope, not hack, happy talk and empty, out-of-context verses. God's called us to be ambassadors of truth and new life in him, not just to settle for comfortable, happy talk and catchy sayings. So I'm going to ask you this as we close. Will you be willing to ask questions? Will you be willing to read and understand the word of God and not just rely on other people's interpretations of it? And will you be willing to challenge the culture that perpetuated these fool's gold type of misquotes that we'll be talking about in the future weeks? Not just so that you can have a deeper understanding, but so that you can be an ambassador of the truth that will not just set you free, but will set free those around you. Amen? Amen. So God, I thank you for this series. God, I thank you for what you're going to do in each of these coming weeks. God, I'm so grateful that we have the Bible in our language, that we have numerous resources to, to study it and break it down and understand what the original language even means for us. God, that we can do a simple search and find all this information. So would you give us a passion 
to figure out what the truth of the Bible is, to exercise wisdom as we receive it and be humble enough to realize where we may have a misunderstanding and to make a correction in our thoughts and in our ways and in our minds so that we can be ambassadors of truth that would set free captives in this world that desperately need you, your hope, and new life in you. So we thank you for this. We pray your favor and your covering over our times together. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Let's stand as we close in worship.